Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. The scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. A leper came to him, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we come to this scripture now, which on one hand seems to be a world away and generations ago, because it is. It's a story that's told in an old way, and yet it's a story that as we dig deeper into, we realize we can find ourselves in, all of us. We come to this scripture from a whole array of experiences and perspectives, some of us believing, others of us unbelieving, most of us somewhere in between. Some of us feeling close to you right now, others of us feeling a million miles away. Some of us remembering a time when we believed these things, but it seems like that light has grown cold and you seem so far away now. We're wondering what happened to you or maybe what happened to us. But however we find ourselves right now, help us to see we have far more in common than we realize. On one hand, each of us is beautiful, created in your image and likeness daughters and sons of the great king. And at the same time, each of us is fractured, full of contradictions and complexities. 
There are ways that we get it and are very good people. There are ways that we don't get it at all and are not such great people. And yet, you see us in all of our diversity and complexity, and you know us as even as we are a beautiful mess. And your response is to give yourself to us in the sacrificial work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see that you love us this much, that you know us this well, and that you have done all that is required for us to be made one with you in the person and work of Jesus. And so now we invite you to teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed, that you would wake us up to your grace and send us out to be your agents of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, as I mentioned, today's Super Bowl Sunday. That's my way of just saying I know what's going on in the world. I'm actually not the biggest fan of, of football or the Super Bowl. I thought I liked football a whole lot. I played football at St. Augustine High School just a few blocks down the road. We went to the championship three or four years in a row. We never won. That's okay because I never played. I practiced a lot. Uh, but anyways, I like basketball, so I'm going to start this sermon with a basketball story. But it's one of the best basketball stories in basketball history. It was 1986, and it involves Larry Bird on the Boston Celtics. They were playing on December 30th against the Seattle Supersonics, and at the very end, Boston's just down by a point or two. There's like three seconds left on the clock. And you see in the video... Larry Bird walks up to Xavier McDaniel, the man who's guarding him, for the final point. And you can see in the video, before the ball is thrown in, he walks up to Xavier McDaniel and he says, Look, that guy is going to throw the ball to me. I'm going to turn right here. I'm going to shoot right there. And I'm going to make it and we're going to win the game. He tells him the entire play. That's how good this man was. You know what happened. The, the guy inbounds the play. Larry Bird turns right there. Xavier McDaniel knows everything that's about to happen, and Larry Bird still makes the shot, and they go on to win. One of the greatest shots ever taken in any sport. In some ways, that is what's going on in this passage right here as Jesus is beginning his ministry. And before he's done anything major, he is already telling the world what he has come to do. Now, we learned earlier in the Gospel of Mark that he proclaims the message. What's the message? The kingdom of God is at hand. And now it's in verse 38 when he's out there praying and his friends come looking for him. And he says, let's go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message. We know what the message is. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's go on to the neighboring towns so I may proclaim that message there also. For that is what I came to do. He's telling us in the very beginning that my message, that the kingdom of God is at hand, is one that presses into the very fabric of society. So much that it pushes you to go into the towns and cities, wherever you live, to go not living in retreat, but to live with a forward lean into that city, to be about the work of God's kingdom, both in word, in the things you say, and in deed, in your actions, and the things you do, in word indeed to bring healing of the kingdom to the city. Let's unpack that for a moment. And this, by the way, is why one of Renew Church's core values is we are in the city for the city. Okay, we, There are a lot of ways that a church can be in relationship to its city. 
On one hand, a church could decide that it wants to be a fortress. And usually a church that does this will have rhetoric that says, it's a big, bad, evil city out there with values that will corrupt you. So we're going to make this a safe fortress with big walls. And as long as you stay inside it, you're safe against that evil city out there. You know that is not the way that Renewed Church is being founded. That's not who we are. All that you end up doing then is just throwing stones and nobody's transformed. Another way that a church can engage with a city is that it just uses the city as a playground, especially in a city as beautiful and vibrant as San Diego. And so the church can end up using the city and all of its amenities and all its entertainment, all of its beauty, and it just kind of assimilates into the city, but there's no real transformation. Everyone generally has a pretty good time, but nothing's really transformed. But there's a third way to be about the relationship to the city. To be in the city and for the city. To see it as our duty and our honor. To be on the lookout for the pain points of the city, the brokenness of the city, and to move toward it. Wherever there is brokenness or pain, it's the church's calling to move toward it, to be an agent of healing. Wherever there's beauty and creativity and diversity and harmony, we highlight it. We fan the flame. We magnify it because we say those are marks of the coming kingdom of God. To be in the city and for the city, that's much more difficult. It's much more complex. It's much more nuanced. And it's a much more vibrant way to live. Now, let's just reflect for a moment why... Would Jesus be going to the towns? Why is Renew Church saying we are in the center city of San Diego for the good of our city? And by the way, now that COVID pandemics happened and we're online, I know that there are many more people who join in, not only from center city San Diego, but from all over the country and even all over the world. And so as I say this, I'm going to be speaking about North Park and San Diego because, of course, that's where we are. If you live around here, please jump in and join in. Plenty of work to be done. If you don't live around here, Welcome. You're a part of Renew Church now. Take what you learn here and apply it wherever you live. So why? Why cities? Why towns? Uh, well, the biblical reason is, throughout Scripture, God seems to highlight the life of the city. In Genesis, the very beginning of Scripture, life begins in a garden. But when you turn to the closing pages of Scripture, it ends in a renewed city with a garden in it. It's a diverse city. It talks about people of every ethnicity and culture streaming around the throne of Christ. In Jeremiah 29, when the people of God are in exile in Babylon and they are tempted to say, this is an evil place, and it was an evil place. Now, the problem of evil, this is another story and another sermon, but the problem of evil is that it not only exists out there, it exists in here as well. The line between good and evil does not go between individuals or between cities or between countries. It goes right down the middle of the human heart. And God says to God's people, while they're in this big city, being overwhelmed, he says, pray for the city. Work for its good. Work for its blessing. Build gardens and cultivate it. Get to know the people there. Intermarry with the people there. Pray for their flourishing because when they flourish, you will flourish as well. When Jesus would come into a town, he would call people to himself and say things like, I'm living water. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I'm the bread of life. If you're hungry, come to me and eat. I forgive you. I know you. I love you. And then he would take those very people and send them out two by two in the towns and cities around them to be agents of that good news wherever they go. 
One theologian put it this way. He said, if you think about it, people are made in the image and likeness of God. And cities have more people per square mile than anywhere else on earth. So in some ways, you could say that a city has more image of God per square mile than anywhere else on earth. Isn't that a noble way to view your society? It's not something to run from. It's not something to throw stones at. It's not something to let completely assimilate and change you. It's something to treat as a sacred opportunity to partner with God for renewal wherever you go. Now, I know it gets tricky because in COVID, it's a very different way of engaging. It doesn't change the DNA. It doesn't change the vision. It just changes the methodology for how we engage with others. So the biblical reason is that God seems to continually put before us a vision of a renewed city. And we happen to be called to this city at this time for these purposes. There's also a practical reason that throughout human history, the history of civilization, cities have been the place where the poorest of the poor with no resources have gathered together. They've gathered together for some sort of a critical mass, some way to share the meager resources that they have, some way to stand up for one another. So if you want to care for the poor, reach the center of the city. Simultaneously, cities have been the place where the influencers, the power brokers, the financiers, the educational institutions, the legal institutions have always been centered and founded. So if you want to reach the world changers, reach the city. You want to care for the poor, reach the city. You want to change the world changers, reach the city. The city becomes the nation's in all of its diversity in just several square miles. And that's why Renew Church is in the city and for the city. How do you relate to the city around you? How do you relate to the people around you, the people that don't share your same spiritual views, your same political views, the people who don't make the same amount of money than you do? Do you, do you look down at the people who make less money than you? Or do you sneer at the people who make more money than you because they're snobbish in your opinion? In the city and for the city. Now, how does he do it? Look, he, he does this creatively, compassionately, and comprehensively. Or another way to say it is, he does it in prayer, word, and deed. First, in prayer. We see that before Jesus is really focusing on anything, he's prioritizing a connection to the Father. See, he's connected in communication to God the Father. And you know that this ha happens in your relationships, your best relationships. Any good relationship needs time, intentionality, and communication. What happens to your closest relationships when you get too busy to communicate with them? They atrophy. They weaken. They get distant. And here's Jesus at the beginning of a world-changing movement. His popularity is soaring. The whole town is looking for him. His productivity and his opportunity seem to be infinite. And it's at that moment he's too busy not to pray. Martin Luther, the great reformer, used to have, you know, days and days, just so much work to do. And he wrote one time in his journal, I have so much to do today that I shall not be able to accomplish it all if I do not first spend three hours in prayer. What a different way of looking at productivity. Too busy not to pray. Let me ask you, are you intentional about your prayer life? Or are you incidental? Maybe God feels like a million miles away. Have you just quit? 
and given up. Let me say to you, even if it feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, even that's okay, because God's in the room. Do you prioritize prayer as a part of your connection to God? Maybe you're investigating Christianity and the idea of prayer is weird and you're asking questions like, is this not just you know, giving more value to the, the act of talking to yourself? It seems a little weird to you. And let me remind you of a promise that Jesus makes. He says, whoever asks will receive. Whoever seeks will find. To whoever knocks, the door will be open. And so maybe the most potent prayer you could pray is to simply, authentically, honestly say, God, if you are real. Jesus, if you are truly God, then convince me. I'm open. That's a powerful prayer. I encourage you to pray that prayer every day, multiple times a day for the next week. Write me a note on our website and tell me what happens. I would love to hear. Another part of prayer that Christians have at our disposal that I think in Western particularly, you know, maybe Southern California culture, we don't tap in too much. In a a culture that's mainly put your best foot forward, project the most successful, brightest, happiest, most joyful image of yourself that you can, even if you feel like you're hurting on the inside, just smile and tell everybody you're fine. An ancient resource that Scripture gives us that we rarely tap into is a type of prayer called lament. If you read through the scriptures, the majority of the scriptures are lament. And what it is, it's an honest holding out of your disappointment while holding on to the faithfulness of God. It's a, a tension that you hold. God, I'm disappointed. There are, there are psalms in the Bible. Talk about an honest prayer. I am mad at you. Where are you? It seems like you've left me. I cry myself to sleep at night. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I have not had a drink of water for days. I'm parched. I'm dehydrated. Even my friends have become my enemies. This is speaking deep desperation, right? I'm sick and I'm tired and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then most of the laments at some point will even have half a line that says, and yet I'll wait for you. And yet I'll trust that you will show up at some point, right? A healthy lament. I think right now in this time of pandemic, one of the most healthy things that we could do is to lament. Maybe write it out. God, this season of my life, I wish would have gone this way. And just write. I'm so mad because of this. I'm afraid of this. And yet, I will wait for you. Come through. A healthy prayer of lament. We do, uh, you know, we pray individually, we pray together. We pray during our community group and our prayer gathering on Wednesday. We do this as a community. So jump in and join us. These are resources and opportunities that I should also say are really deep, joyful opportunities. So that information's on the website. Just hit the contact button and I'll send it to you. He does it in prayer. Jesus also does it connected to his core identity. Because here we see the priority of prayer, but we don't see the content. Later on, we hear Jesus teaching us how to pray when he says, When you pray, say, Our Father. Later on, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Father. On the cross, he says, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. So the attitude and the posture and the positioning of prayer 
is not that you're on the outside asking for God to somehow let you in. And if you just bother God enough, maybe God will finally give you the thing you want. Or if you can just somehow do more good things than bad today, then God will owe you something. So now God will give you the thing you're asking for. No, no, no. Your starting place, according to the Bible, is as a beloved child. You don't need to convince God to love you. God already loves you. Even when you do things that you think make you unlovable to God, God still loves you. Even when you think God doesn't want to hear from you, God still wants to hear from you. What would be different? What kind of stability would that bring to your life if you could actually believe that and trust that? Instead of your core identity being grounded in your career or your success, in your relationship to so-and-so, in the way you look, or in what other people think or say about you. This kind of belovedness, this kind of secure identity, cannot be lost or diminished. See, we need to see this, or else we get pulled and controlled by all sorts of fears and crowds and addictions and momentary desires. We become like this political cartoon that I saw a couple Christmases ago. It was a... Um, it was a politician sitting on Santa's lap, and he said, gee, Santa, what do you want me to ask for for Christmas? What do you want me to want? Right? We ask the whole world, what do you want me to want? Well, who do you want me to be? And we get blown to and fro in every direction except for being our true selves. But when you see that you're beloved like this, it actually enables you to be comfortable in your own skin, to be grounded right where you are. Yes, to have hopes and dreams and to honestly face your fears and your regrets. But you do it from a place of nobility, knowing your worth, a different sort of stability altogether. How else does he approach his society? In word and deed. See, it's a multifaceted ministry. We see in, in these paragraphs that are describing Jesus' ministry, do you notice all that's going on here? He's healing people's sicknesses. He's casting out spiritual illness. He's proclaiming good news. It says he proclaims the message twice. It doesn't tell us the content. We did learn the content earlier. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God's liberation for all people, and then he puts it into action and actually brings it about. He understands the narrative of Scripture. If you begin in the very earliest pages of Scripture, it's a picture of a good God creating a beautiful world and blessing it and saying it's good. And then not too long after that, there's a rebellion that leads to a fracturing and a decaying of society, of nature, of our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, relationship with others, relationship with the natural world itself. And even then, there's a promise where God says, I will not leave it this way, but I will act to renew all things. And then the story of Israel from there is that they were called to be a blessing to all the nations, that this would be a vehicle for God to bring God's renewal. And the whole time they're waiting for God's Messiah to come, God in the flesh, the one who will actually do these things and make all things new. And now Jesus is on the scene. And if you've been around Christians for a while or you've been around church for a while, you hear Christians talk about the fall of creation, about sin, about brokenness. What does that look like? In our story today, the leper gives us a picture of the comprehensive effects of the fall. 
The leper is a person with this deadly, slowly decaying skin disease that would have had them completely ostracized from society. He's a picture of shalom fractured. It's a picture of our world and of our lives, and we'll get to that. But physically, his health is falling apart. He's decaying. Socially, he's ostracized. It was part of the local law that if you were afflicted with this illness, you would have to have a bell around your neck like a cow and stay outside of crowds. And if anybody should happen to have the bad fortune of getting near you, you'd have to shout, unclean, unclean, so they'd stay away from you. Completely socially ostracized. He'd be emotionally and socially devastated as no human being would have touched him as long as he could remember. No hugs, no handshakes, nothing. And he'd be spiritually cut off from the worship life of his community. In fact, it would be even worse than that. Not only cut off, but there were certain people who would probably be judging him and wondering what evil thing he must have done to have deserved such a punishment. Which later on, by the way, Jesus completely refutes and says, God is not a vindictive God. And so, when you see that, that's a picture of the brokenness of this world, all compounded into one person. And what does Jesus do when he sees him? The king with comprehensive power to heal, heals him physically. It says, immediately the leprosy left him. But he doesn't stop there. He could have just done that. But he looks at this person, created in the image of God, beloved of God, royal, noble, fractured, broken, decaying, heals him and says, that's not enough. He says, go and tell the priest. That's code for the priest was the one who was able to sign off on your doctor's note saying you were actually healed. And that was your note that would get you back into society. No longer have to wear the bell. No longer say unclean. You could go back to the worship life of the community. That's your readmittance note. He said, go and tell the priest. Get signed off. I want you healthy physically. I want you healthy socially. I want you healthy emotionally. And how did he heal him? Jesus shows elsewhere he heals people with just a thought. He could have done that. He heals people elsewhere with just a word. He could have done that. But for this leper... For whom it would have been against the cleanliness laws to touch. Jesus chooses to heal him by touching him. Jesus goes and breaks every normal bound of exclusion. Who's in and who's out? Who can you touch and who you can't? Who can you get near and who do you need to exclude? And he says, this one's an insider. He goes to the outsider and makes him an insider. He didn't have to touch him to heal his body. I think he had to touch him to heal his soul. And Jesus healed that man's soul on that day. He has comprehensive power to heal. Let me ask you, what do you think is more important to God? To forgive your sins? Or to see your emotional wounds made whole? What's more important? The answer is both. C, A, and B. (laughs) What do you think is more important to God? To recover you from your addiction? or to comfort you in your sorrow, or to feed the hungry? The answer is always all of the above. He created it all. He's out to redeem it all. You see, churches and denominations unfortunately split over these arguments. They ask what's more important. What's more important, evangelism, proclaiming the kingdom of God, or social justice, putting it into action? And the answer is always 
Yes. It's both and. Jesus is the comprehensive healer. He restores shalom. He never lets those two things be divorced from one another. To follow him is to be the renewal of all people and of all things. So let's just apply this real quickly. First of all, what does this mean? It means that no part of your life is off limits. Jesus Christ is out to touch and heal every part of your life. Where do you need to give him access? I think especially in this time of pandemic, I've studied this scripture for over 20 years, and it was this time, facing it in the middle of a global pandemic, where I realized that we have far more in common with a leper than we realize. Did you get this? He's physically in danger, socially separated, emotionally fragile, and spiritually distant. And in this pandemic, we're all physically afraid of either catching it or fearing for somebody else. Socially, we literally cannot come together in the way that we're used to and we want to. Can't give hugs to the people we want to hug. Which is leading to emotional and psychological difficulties on an unprecedented scale. And spiritually, creating all sorts of questions and urgency and sadness in our lives. So I wonder if you can see just how Jesus moves toward that leper on that day. Jesus moves toward you and me today in our particular circumstances. It also means that to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, means to reorient your passions and your talents toward the needs of those around you. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I, the questions I get as a pastor in this pandemic is, what do you think God is trying to teach us because of this pandemic? Do you think God sent this pandemic to teach us a lesson? And the answer is, no, I don't think that's what God is doing. I mean, if you read the book of Job, the whole point of the book of Job is that that's not the point. Um, I don't think there's anything God could teach us that he didn't already teach us through Jesus Christ. And it's interesting when you read up this part of the Bible in Acts chapter 11, this is the early church, they actually were facing a severe famine. And it was kind of hitting these epic proportions and really ripple effects to all of society. And in the midst of the church's reckoning with this huge pandemic-like famine, they did not ask who sinned, which is the reason why this is happening to us. They didn't ask, what's the message that we're not getting that God is really punishing us for so that we can more understand it? The church simply asked three questions. Who is most affected by this? What are their needs? And who can we send? Right? That might sound like a purely pragmatic, not very theological response, and yet that's deeply theological because it means we are God's hands and feet wherever we go to be a part of the renewal of all things. Maybe we, you can ask individually, as we ask as a church, who's most affected? What can we do? And who can we send? I mean, this is one of the reasons why we simply moved our Know Your Neighbor gathering to the last Saturday of each month, because we realize people who are getting government checks are running out toward the end of the month. People are more hungry toward the end of the month. The food that we share can go even further at that time. Simple things like that. Who's most affected? What do they need? And who can we send? And let me tell you, I've always been excited and invigorated to watch you as we grow this church to be the hands and feet of Jesus where we go, especially in a time like this. I've always said this pandemic has not made us change our vision or our values or our DNA. It has given us an opportunity to live it out even more deeply. 
and you're doing it. I'm grateful for you. Now, where do you get the power? I'll end on this. Where do you get the power, the fuel, the courage, the confidence to live this way in such a time as this? Let me just say, don't try this without the gospel. Don't try this without the gospel. I want you to see two quick things. The first one is Jesus touches the leper. It reveals Jesus' compassion. It reveals his gospel power. You see, in their religion, it was if you touch a leper, you become unclean. And now for the first time ever, Jesus touches the leper. But instead of Jesus catching the leper's uncleanness, the leper catches Jesus' cleanness. His cleanliness is infective. His holiness moves out and actually transforms us. In other words, to say it, the unclean becomes clean. What part of your life do you see as unclean? And do you realize as soon as he touches that part, he doesn't get contaminated by you and me. You become cleansed by him. Jesus' power to heal is more powerful than our brokenness, our frailties, or our failures. The biggest challenge that we have is to trust that he's actually this good and to open our lives to him. Why would you do that? This is the second thing I want you to see. There's a clue at the end. Remember, the lepers started at the outside of the city, ostracized, excluded, ended up in the middle of the city in society. He was reconnected. He was healed. And Jesus started out in the town, healed the leper, told the leper, don't tell anybody. The leper did the exact opposite, which is a picture of all of us. And as a result, Jesus ended up outside the city and couldn't enter the town openly. It's a preview of what will happen three years later. Where Jesus, the ultimate insider, with the welcome of the Father, with people streaming to him from everywhere, who are looking to him right now, Jesus will be brought outside the city gates and killed, abandoned, betrayed, cursed and spat upon. The ultimate insider will be brought outside for you and me to take our brokenness, to take our pain, to take our shame, to take our guilt, to take it all upon himself, not only individually, but that of the whole world, and to deal a death blow to death itself. The ultimate insider, with all power and authority, dies outside the city gates, so that you and me, the outsiders, might be brought into his welcome. Run to him now. See that he loves you that much. See that he moves toward you even now. And as you do, move toward others with the same healing touch, with the same intentionality, with the same grace and the same hope. And as you do, this whole world will be transformed. And as you do, you will be transformed. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that you would convince us of your great love for us. Fill us with your spirit. Give us ears to hear whatever you would say to us. As we prepare to come to this table, fill us with your grace and send us out to be your hands and feet wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.